Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who is scarfing down, uh, appears to be a yogurt and a banana live from the Zurich Classic Media Center, where the food, despite the city, uh, is always a bit underwhelming. We've got a fun one today, folks. Of course, we're going to get into Jordan Spieth and our biggest takeaways from his victory at Harbortown. Of course, We'll get into Robert Garrigus, the first player to officially sign up for the Live Golf Series, woo, which begins in early June. Of course, we'll get into the Zurich, the teams to watch, the return of Masters champion Scotty Scheffler, as well as some potential tweaks they could make to make the only team event on the PGA Tour schedule even better. And of course, folks, the only reason you're tuning into this podcast, of course, we're going to spend most of this pod talking about the food in new orleans where you have to eat where rex will eat and we'll have a fierce debate on the top five joints if you could only have five where you would go five we're doing five all right we're doing five five ten fifteen uh whatever whatever it comes thanks for thanks for joining us rex uh but first uh callaway's new rogue st drivers are their fastest most stable drivers ever with four head shapes to fit every type of player. Their industry-leading innovations include an all-new tungsten speed cartridge for increased speed, stability, and forgiveness. Nice. The jailbreak speed frame also provides stability for even more speed access across the face, and an AI-designed flash face promotes lower spin and increased forgiveness. Rogue ST drivers are already winning on the PGA Tour, and they're available now. Go to CallawayGolf.com now to find the driver that is right for you, Rex. I wish I had one of those Callaway Rogue ST drivers. Could have used it uh, at Augusta National. Could have used an extra 15, 20 yards. Certainly could have used it uh, on a seventh hole where I blew it uh, into the right trees, ended up making a triple. The seventh hole, Rex, at Augusta National, we, we haven't even talked about my round there because with the pod schedule, we did it Sunday night. I played Monday, didn't do a pod last week, and so here we are. Uh, the seventh hole is one of my favorite holes on the golf course. I think it is absolutely beautiful. I love the shape of it. I think it is absolutely stunning. The green, uh, the contours, the bunkering. I love everything about it. But man, the two times I have played that hole just absolute butchered it. There is nowhere to go. It looks like it's forgiving, but it is absolutely not. And if you're in those trees, you're in, you're in jail and you got big problems going to that, going to that tiny green. I think we talked about it before you played. Someone else was joining the conversation at Augusta when we were talking about your round on Monday. Seven is probably my favorite hole on property. I love 10 just because the tee shot, I mean, it gets the blood flowing. Anytime you stand on that tee and just the idea of, I just Perfect need to for your snap up. hook. That's right. Perfect for your snap hook. Just plays to my advantages. But seven from the members tees is such a cool hole because it's a short par, five, uh, par four. It's not quite drivable, I wouldn't think, but it's short. So you should have nothing more than just a little wedge. And, but you're right. There's not a lot of room off the tee, which is fair enough for a short par four. But if you're anywhere above that hole, I was above the hole, full disclosure, the one time I played. And my caddy's comment to me was when I asked for advice, specifically asked for advice, and he glared at me and he goes, try not to put it in the bunker. So you get an idea of how fast that putt is. And it, it, I just love that hole. Uh, I sculled a wedge shot back behind one of the leaderboards. So I had to take relief from the leaderboard, basically laid up with a chunk wedge to around the bunker, chipped on and, and made a two putt uh, 
for a triple. You and I have both been dealing with some elbow issues. Uh, mine's been going on for a couple years. Uh, yours has uh, just cropped up recently in the past couple months. Felt it on the range. For the, the, those, those tight lies, the first one I went down and tried to get after, felt a little jolt in my elbow. I said, oh, here we go. And ow, ow, uh, ow, 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 all day, definitely shied away from pain. Uh, I was too, I was too proud to strap on one of those Scott McCarran elbow guards that I've been using, using for years. But at Augusta National, it just didn't feel right. I was gonna grit it out, uh, really? unfortunately, to the detriment of my score. Oh God, I would have slipped it on right even before I, during my warm up. I would have slipped that thing on. I have no shame whatsoever. I, I think the, the best part was, and, and I don't. You don't want to revisit this, so I'm going to revisit for you. If you remember correctly, on Sunday night after the Masters, we were talking, and I, I told you to set the over-under. And you, you played the game of 82-and-a-half. And without me even prompting, you stared at me, and you go 85-and-a-half. And again, without me prompting, you finally settled on 87-and-a-half, which? No, it was 86-and-a-half was the final eight. over-under, and it was over. And it was uh, over. Not by much, though, 88 I, I honestly do think that I would have been in the low 80s if not for my iron play. As as you know, you and I have played dozens of times together. The, the, my iron play is the hallmark uh, of my game. I, I tend to spray it. Uh, I tend to be very streaky. Uh, I tend to have a couple of botched pitches. Uh, but my iron play is typically the hallmark of my game. And it was, it was a tough scene. Uh, missing left, missing right, missing short, missing long. Uh, the wind started gusting when we went to the second side. I mean, it was it was not going to be pretty, uh, but I made, as I mentioned, a butchery, number seven. Uh, I, like, hit, like, this skinny, almost top on 16 with an eight iron, which is just, just absolutely pathetic. Um, and so that kind of doomed my chances to get the under. Thanks for all the uh, thoughts and prayers uh, for everyone, all the interest in my round. I'm not one of those... Who wants to go blow by blow, hole by hole, write a recap about how seems like you are. it changed? It does seem no, like you are right now. No, this is not, this is not a blow by blow. People, people want that. Why, why do people care about how I play Augusta National? Nobody wants that. No, nobody wants that. No, I, I honestly, I got like a dozen requests for like, hey, how'd you play? I, I played fine. And that, that's, that's what you hit him with. I played fine. It's magical. Uh, it's everything I think I you said I expect. played like, like a dog. I think I told I, anyone who asked if I played like a dog. But then you, you do add on the back end of that. It was magical. It was everything I thought. I mean, it was. It was, okay. it was terrific. I was actually – I actually – my caddy was the reigning caddy of the year at Augusta National, a terrific guy uh, named Brian. I won't tell you uh, what he told me after uh, I found the penalty area. Not the, not the water, but the penalty area uh, surrounding the 13th hole. He basically said, the best thing I can say about you is that you are not um, – a wussy stood out oh oh okay i see why you're, you're dancing around this now you're, yes. you're adding okay yes. got it you are not you are not a wussy i said you know what brian that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me put that put that on my tombstone put that first line of my obit ryan lavner comma not uh, a wussy played at Augusta national and was not a he certainly didn't use that word um uh and, and you can just go from there but that's enough about my round no one cares. If you really are that interested for some DM reason. DM him. He's been more than uh, happy to give you a shot by shot. I'll give you a shot by shot. I'll tell you exactly uh, what it was like to play Augusta National, since I know uh, some of you perhaps are living vicariously through me, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it, certainly. Rex, let's get into the latest winner uh, on the PGA Tour. That, of course, is Jordan Spieth. Another thrilling victory. Uh, another unpredictable Sunday. It seemed like there was... A uh, half dozen guys, if not more, who had an opportunity to win. 
Sunday at Harbortown, and instead it's Spieth uh, had the short miss on Saturday, overcame a three-shot deficit on Sunday, rolled in a 10-footer on the 72nd hole, and basically watched as everyone else failed to match his mark. What was your biggest takeaway from Spieth's win at Harbortown? It's kind of a signature Spieth win on some ways. On some ways, it's not. We're going to get into that. But, I mean, two Eagles on your opening nine just to put yourself into contention. And, really, he just kind of outlasted everyone coming down the stretch. As you pointed out, I think he finished his round an hour before the final groups did. Oh, so at it's least. not as though. At yeah, least. So I think Lowry, though, yeah, Lowry hadn't even chipped in the water yet on 14. And this is the M.O. of him. I'm looking right now at the stats, and it's hard for me to believe. He gained 13.3 shots on the field. Strokes gained TD Green, which is phenomenal. I mean, that has to be a career high for him. And he lost two and a half strokes putting. And he said it. I think his quote was, I won this without a putter, which I don't know. I think it's either a testament to how much work and how much his swing has improved over the last year or two, whatever it is they're doing to make that ugly practice maneuver, that that ugly rehearsal, rehearsal. work. Yeah, because that's, that's not impressive. You, you did it on Riders Block the other day, and I caught a screenshot of it. And Ooh. I think – Yes, there's a lot of elbows moving. <laughs> it, needs a, it needs one of those sound things where you make the noise where you whoop, whoop every time. It's like, it's, like it. what the, it's, it's like what the fans do on the first tee of the Ryder Cup when guys are taking their practice swing. Yes, it, it, it would fit perfectly in two years in Italy when we go and they, they start making fun of that practice swing. He's got to be able to clean that up by then. I, I don't know. It's twofold. One, the ball striking is phenomenal. Now and I mean it's a complete. You sound you sound surprised. Spieth literally uh, led this category at the Valero two weeks ago, three weeks ago. No, I'm not surprised, and you're right. This is kind of the new norm. It feels like the part that that shocks me probably more is that I've seen him have a cold putter. I've seen him not putt Jordan like, but he still usually has a decent round. Like Jordan esque is probably not attainable for most people when he, when we're talking about putting, losing two and a half shots on the field and still winning is absolutely amazing to me because that's not Jordan's game whatsoever. I guess you would thinking ahead being, you know, not, not allowing myself to appreciate what he has done in this particular context, thinking ahead, imagine if he has a decent putting round in a few weeks at the PGA championship combined with that ball striking. I think we could see something close to what we saw out of Jordan Spieth in 2015. Pick, pick the best Jordan we've ever seen. It's amazing. 2017, 2017. Jordan was better than 2015. The, re the results so, in 2015 were better, but the actual performance yeah. was better in 2017. So, I mean, I, that's the part that gets me. I, I'm not surprised that, that the ball striking has come around because he's put the work, he's put the effort into it, and it was a lot of trust that him and Cam McCormick, his swing coach, had. What shocks me is that he's doing this without his putter. And if you would have asked me two weeks ago, if Jordan Spieth loses two and a half strokes to the field putting, can he win, regardless of how well he hits the golf ball, I'd have told you there's no way. But, I mean, statistically, I am wrong. So this has been – so I've got a couple of takeaways. This has been a consistent problem for Jordan Spieth. This wasn't like a, a, a one-week issue. And his strokes gain that you mentioned, minus two and a half, was the worst strokes gain putting performance by a winner on the PGA Tour since 2009. That just shows you just how good his ball striking was and perhaps uh, how fortunate he was – to still escape with the victory. But here are his putting stats, Rex, over the past couple of years. He has been nothing if not streaky. He's 179th right now. Last year, he was 33rd. The year before that, he was 105th. The year before that, he was second. The year before that, he was 123rd. The year before that, he was 48th. The year before that, he was second. And the year before that, 
he was ninth. And the year before that, his first year on tour against screens that he's never seen before, he was 20th. That is all over the map. And so this is certainly an issue that he's going to have to spend a lot of time with uh, with swing coach Cameron McCormick over the next couple of weeks before he plays the Nelson. And then, of course, the PGA Championship where he'll try and complete the final leg of the career Grand Slam. This is an issue that has plagued him for a while. He's been super streaky. But I think the main difference now, he's always kind of struggled with the short. He's even going back to his uh, junior and amateur days. They've always kind of given him fits inside that five-foot circle. The big difference now is that he's not holding those putts from, let's say, 10 to, to 25 feet. I mean, you look at his putting stats from 15 to 20 feet in the PJ Tour, where if you're striking the ball well, you're going to be living all day with your approach shots. Uh, 194th uh, on the PJ Tour. He's made just five of those attempts. Uh, from from 47. I see your sausage finger up. Please continue. Well, to that point, I was going to add to it. So for, from 10 to 15 feet for the week last week in Hilton Head, he was three for 13. And you're right. Those are the ones that it seems like even if he doesn't. You're going to be living there if you're striking the ball well. Yes. And he, those are the ones when he is putting his best, it seems like every single one of them are going to go in. And we just haven't seen that from him. Now, I'm not saying he can't rediscover it. I think that's probably, it should be in theory, the easiest part of his game to get back by comparison to the struggles that he had with his full swing, everything that he went through and where we are now with that paint by numbers practice swing. It, it, the, he, it seems to me he lost the artist in him when he was working on getting his swing back. And maybe that has something to do with, he doesn't have that artistry now when it comes to putting because when it comes to putting, he's all about feel. He's all about seeing the line. You don't see him being very technical when it comes to putting. So there may be something to this, but again, I feel like that's probably the easiest part of his game to get back. Yeah, you would, you would hope that at his age, it's not like he's totally scarred uh, at this point in his career. He can rediscover some of that artistry, some of that magic. I mean, he's like Steph Curry. You give him the ball, he, he shoots, and he's already running back to the other side of the court because he knows uh, that he's drained it. I'd love to see Jordan Spieth get back to kind of that, that, that instinctive uh, feel-based putter as opposed to being so worried about the stroke. That's the negative takeaway for Jordan Spieth. The positive takeaway, and something that we have not touched on, the, he well, won. Yes, obviously he won, but the most encouraging sign to me is his driver. You and I have both played Harbor town. You ask any PJ tour player. It is one of the most claustrophobic courses on the PJ tour schedule. You have to be so precise. Even if you're in the fairway, sometimes you can be blocked out and Jordan Spieth was pumping driver all week long, forcing it down the, the fairway as far as he could. Jordan Spieth was fourth in strokes gain off the tee. He was second in driving distance on all of the holes. This matters because last season, even though he had kind of that resurgent year, his driver was really uh, the biggest, I guess, negative in his game. It was kind of the, the biggest weakness that he was experiencing. 151st on tour last season in strokes gain off the tee. That's really bad for an elite player. You look at, the John Roms, the Justin Thomases, the Kyle Morikawas, uh, the, the, the Scotty Schefflers, the driver is kind of a weapon for them. Like they're putting it in play, they're top 25 and tour strokes gain off the tee, and they can kind of go on that way. Spieth was 96th in driving distance. He wasn't hitting fairways. So you look at that year over year, Rex, 151st last year, he's 38th right now. He's up to 37th in driving distance. He's gained about nine yards off the tee. He's gained speed. He's more accurate. I think that really bodes well. It, it bodes 
it bodes even better than perhaps uh, his his streaky cold putter currently is. That's kind of the biggest takeaway from from this is that he was forcing driver and he was taking advantage, which was the most important part. And I will say, and I agree with you, that he, he does seem to have some freedom of motion now, and that probably comes with trusting the swing that he's been working on. And with, along with that, you're going to pick up a couple of miles an hour of clubhead speed, of ball speed. And that is going to equate to longer drives, which makes total sense to me. Let's put it in context. He was second in the field in Hilton Head in driving distance. But as you mentioned, Harbortown kind of mitigates that. It's not as though Dustin Johnson is standing on every tee just pounding drivers. He had a 290-yard average. So it's not as though he but was he was hitting not- driver when a lot of guys were hitting three yes, woods, five I- woods, driving irons. That shows that he has confidence on such a narrow golf course that he's able to thread the needle. But that gets mitigated when we go to the bigger ballparks, wherever that might be. Let's call it Southern Hills. We don't know exactly how that's going to be set up for the PGA Championship. But you have the Dustin Johnsons and the Rorys and the rest of them who now all of a sudden can air it out where they can't do that at Hilton Head. I'm not taking anything away from your point. It, it's a very good point. He does seem to be more relaxed on the tee, which leads to the part that I kind of stuck with when I read through the transcript of his interview on Sunday. And what struck me last year when he won the Texas Open is even though a lot of us want to declare everything has been completed, you're back, that look what you've done. You climbed back to the top of the mountain. He was very reluctant to go down that road, if you remember. Last year, he said it was just the beginning, that he still had plenty of room for improvement. I didn't read those same comments even between the lines on Sunday based on what he said. I think there's a little confidence here now that wasn't there last year when he won in Texas. Now, I don't know if that equates to more victories going down the road because I I think the field, the circle is much smaller now for him. I I don't think he has the ability to go out and win maybe like he did in 2015 or 2017, as you pointed out, simply because the Scotty Shufflers of the world seem to be taking care of the other half of that. So you, you kind of have to consider that as well. But there's a confidence that wasn't there last year that that's the part that I stick with. Yeah, he said he was, quote, very close uh, to being where he wanted with his full swing, which is definitely not where he was uh, in the spring of 2021, uh, despite having uh, so much success. I, I think you're right. Look, I think Spieth has already had his best seasons on the PJ Tour 2015, 2017. It's going to be very difficult for him to top those, those his years. Best seasons you're calling it? Yes, those were his best seasons. He's oh, wow. very unlikely to be able to replicate those seasons. Rex, he almost won the he almost won the Grand Slam in in 2015. He won the, the right. Masters and the U.S. Open. He finished uh, second at the PGA Championship. He finished a shot out of a playoff last time we were at St. Andrews for the Open Championship. He is very unlikely to duplicate that success. That does not mean. Uh, he's done winning majors. I certainly believe that he can still win. I still think he can even replicate his major hall at this point with three majors. I certainly think he can get to 20-plus wins in the PGA Tour. He's certainly at 13, but he's going to have to pick away at it now. Uh, it's a, We're a little bit deeper uh, in the professional game than we were. I, I would agree with you if we weren't in the era right now of Scotty Scheffler. Like, neither one of us could have predicted. We're in the Scotty Scheffler era? Scotty Scheffler didn't I, have a win seven weeks ago. Now we're in the Scotty uh, Scheffler Exactly. Era? Exactly. So eight weeks ago, if you and I were having this podcast, you would have said that, yeah, no, Scotty's not going to get to 20 wins. Like he's going to be a very, very good tour player. My guess is you, if I had said, is he going to get to 20 wins and have four majors? You probably would have been, eh, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. Right. I still, I still think we should pump the brakes. And I think consider anyone, what he has done. I think anyone, maybe not anyone, almost every single player in the top 10 in the world right now is capable of doing what Scotty Scheffler is doing, Ooh, getting on an apps, getting on an absolute heater and ripping off three to four wins in a major. Absolutely. Maybe. I believe that you don't think that Colin Morikawa is capable of doing that. He's already done it. 
Uh, you don't think John Rahm is capable of doing this? No, of course I would he give is. you John Rahm. Uh, but you're talking about nine You're talking about Cantley. Cantley really did it last seven. summer besides a major. But, well, yeah, he doesn't have the major, so I'm going to call you on that one. And I know I'm not I mean, saying he can't. Cam, I'm not saying he Cam doesn't Smith have the talent. Cam Smith won the Players' Championship. That's essentially a major. You don't think Rory's capable of this? I, mean, I think this on. is exhausting. I think this is exhausting for him. You think Victor Hovland? You think Cam Smith? You think Rory? Victor, can Victor go Hovland. On that kind if, of run. if it was just a ball striking contest, sure he can he can rip off three or four wins. I mean, Victor Hovland did. I mean, he won he won three times. Looking back to last fall. Uh, yes, I would say every single was, player in the top ten is capable of doing this. No, no, no. I'm not going to give you every single player. And, and going back to last fall with Victor Hovland, I mean, are you counting the hero? Is that really what, what we're doing here? We're comparing the a victory at the Hero World Classic to the Masters victory of Scotty Scheffler two weeks ago? Is that what uh, we're doing here? The Hero offered world ranking points. This week's Zurich Classic does not. Uh, yes, it's an injustice. Don't get me started. It's going to be my column tomorrow on GolfChannel.com. Check it out. I, I can't believe they disrespect what a this tournament. Of all tournaments, that they would disrespect it like this. You and know you what's think, funny is – You don't think Justin Thomas can go on that streak? Uh, yes, I would give just, just, uh, JT that. That's essentially I was just the top kinda... ten players in the world. I just named all of them. I just named all. I don't of them. think. I don't think Dustin can. I think we. I think you just talked. You don't yourself think into, Dustin can? I do not. Not at this stage in his career. Absolutely not. Do, do you see a level of motivation that he's even going to play that many events in a seven-week window? Um. All right, DJ might not be the best example talent-wise. If he somehow discovers something, not, if he starts hitting, on, if he starts hitting on a line again. Absolutely, he can rip him off. He can. No, he no, can no. absolutely rip him off. I'm not downing any of their talent. I think any of them have the talent to do it. This, this requires more than talent, though. This requires a motivation and a, a firmness of mind. I've seen something out of Scotty that I didn't know was there, where it's hard to do what he's done over the last seven weeks. Really, only Tiger Woods and BJ Singh and, and I guess maybe Phil Mickelson might have done it. Only a handful of players have gone on tears like this because mentally, more than physically, it is draining. And I think we're probably going to see it, I would guess, out of Scotty over the next few weeks because it's hard – to maintain this this pace, I would argue that this is probably one of the greatest things that Tiger Woods accomplished is that he did it over the better part of a decade. And if you were to ask Scotty, can you imagine doing this for the next 10 years? That, that's hard to imagine because it's physically and mentally exhausting. You have to be on week in and week out. You can't have any bad rounds. You can't have any bad holes because eventually they're going to catch up with you. So, yeah, I find it hard to believe. Certainly Morikawa can do it. You're right. John Rahm. Can do it, Patrick Cantlay. Cantlay if, can do if it. If he can, if he, if somehow he can even putt halfway decently, if you look at what he's done this season, I think he can do it. I'm not, I'm not giving the nod to Hovland or Smith or Rory right now, for that matter. And I think JT's probably right there on the edge. And I've already spoke my piece on DJ. <laughs> uh, since you, since you mentioned Scotty, he is returned this week uh, at the Zurich, his first start since the Masters, teaming up with your boy Ryan Palmer. You guys went out to dinner last night. We'll certainly get into that. Uh, wow, name drop. Podcast, Take it easy, man. Um, you are going to be uh, interviewing Scotty later. What's something you want to ask him? Uh, I, I always want to ask someone who wins a major for the first time, specifically this major, because at some point you put the green jacket on a couple days down the road, right? At some point you're just standing in your living room and you put the green jacket on and you stare at it. I would think that's what I would do. And at, at some point it has to sink in. And, and my guess is that's a really cool epiphany moment. I mean, I can only imagine – that unlike any other major, and, and this is probably being unfair to other majors, but that one, it, it's, it's a jacket sitting in a closet staring at you. And I would think there is an emotional moment sooner or later that he has stumbled upon over the last two weeks, week and a half, 
since he won the Masters. Now, he doesn't seem to be that kind of person, although we saw some emotion out of him on Sunday that I don't think either one of us expected as we we still kind of are doing double takes over the idea that he was in the fetal position, bawling in tears on Sunday morning. Help we me. Went to the, Meredith, help, help me. me. <laughs> I mean, I did not see that coming. I, I would say that, that that would be the number one question. Like, when has it sunk in, and what was that feeling like when it did sink in? That's a great first question. Uh, I look forward to Thanks. seeing Scotty's uh, answer to that. And you have to remember, too, like when he, when he reached world number one for the first time after the match play victory, uh, he, he, got, he got choked up there, and he said he never even went, got this far uh, in his dreams. It was so kind of mind-blowing to him. If you're an elite player as he was at the junior, amateur, college, uh, and even now at the professional level, you dream about winning the Masters. I'd be curious if, how, to, how that kind of matches up uh, his dream to his reality. And I think the logical next question is now what we just talked about it. How do you keep the oh, motivation, God. the desire? How do you not become satisfied with what you've achieved? How do you make, how do you ensure that this is not just uh, a hot streak that you're on over these couple months and able to extend it because he has a great history at Southern Hills to play the big 12 championship there. He has plenty of experience in junior and amateur golf. That's the next uh, venue for the PGA uh, for the PGA Championship, it's not inconceivable. Certainly, he's not the betting favorite, uh, but it's not inconceivable that he could rip off wins uh, in the first two. How about the rest of the teams, Rex, here at the Zurich Classic? I'm actually surprised. As we mentioned, no world ranking points. Uh, it's not the usual allotment of FedEx Cup points to the winner, and yet we have seven of the top twelve players in the world. Kyle Morikawa is teaming up with world number five. Victor Hovland, I would think that they're the headliners, but you also have Patrick Cantlay, uh, of course, partnering with his usual partner in Xander Shoffle. You have Sam Burns and Billy Horschel. You have Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman uh, defending their title. Kind of who are you looking at this week? I think Morikawa and Hovland will be fun. These are two young players. I think it's, this is the first time you've had two top 10 players paired together in this event. And I saw something on the World Cup. Is that Golf. true? Yes, uh, or yes, according to the, the notes of our crack research staff. I'm, I'm hoping that's true because uh, I have full trust in them. I, I will say this uh, about... Cantley and Shoffley weren't top 10 last year? Hmm. Who knew? It might be top five, actually. Yeah, it's got to yeah, be. That might yeah, because yeah, yeah, so. Cantley was definitely in them. Yeah, okay. Uh, but the, the one that gets me is Leishman and Camp Smith. I mean, Leishman is playing decent. It's not as though he's playing bad golf. But Cameron Smith, as we just discussed, is playing unbelievable golf. And they seem to, to be a really special pairing. I mean, if, if international captain Trevor Ullman can be excited about anything going into this year's President's Cup, it should be. Excited about anything? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was funny. I was talking with Jeff Ogilvy yesterday. He was named one of his assistants, one of Trevor's assistants. And I was asking him, what is it over the last few matches that gives you hope that maybe you can break this trend. And Joaquin Neiman. Yeah. I mean, he pointed to a lot of the From young JM. people. But he went straight to Cam Smith and Mark yeah. Leishman. I mean, these two, in theory, you should trot them out in, in every team session, and they should come back undefeated and at least give you a chance on Sunday. That, that's all you're looking for. And they seem to, to meld really well together in this format. I did a story yesterday on Golf Central, and it was based on something that Billy Horschel said at the match play where we were so focused at the match play on Kevin Kisner being the best example of this, that Kevin plays this so well. Why, why don't captains use this as a litmus test and make him more of a regular on those teams? 
in Horschel. And look, he, he's not an independent horse on this. He's, he's got a dog in the fight. But he made the argument that success in this event, the Zero Classic, is probably a better indication because you're playing with a partner and you're playing foursomes. It's and a stroke play ball. event. How, does this, this is, how is this indicative of, of what you're going to do at the President's Cup? No, you're playing the four. I mean, you're playing foursomes and four ball, essentially, is what you're doing. Yeah, but it's also a stroke play competition. That's way different. Uh, it is to a certain degree, but I, I would tend to agree that this is probably a really good indication of. Didn't the, Patrick Cantley? Didn't Patrick Cantley dump on this question? Didn't he dump on the question? Uh, no, Patrick Cant did not. I think Xander did. I think it caught. I caught Patrick Xander Cantley. Off the I think if anything, it's very slight. Uh, that was in the press conference. Yeah, it's just a that. totally different animal when you play those big team match play events. End quote. But I think there's Patrick something Cantlay. to the dynamic of the partnership. This is, is the second time Patrick Cantley's come back to you with dumping on your question, is it not? That wasn't my question to Patrick Cantley. That wasn't your for... question to him? Ah, too bad. No, no I uh-huh. asked Sander in the, in the Golf Central interview, and, and uh, he did not play along very well either. But they did talk <laughs> about the dynamic of being partners, I think is what I was trying to get to. And you've seen it. And let, let's take Ryan Palmer, who it was called out by Justin Thomas on Twitter for hands picking his partner, which, by the way, is, was not entirely it's fair. It's like 4.3. It, it, it's incredible. 4.5. It's 4.5. Yeah, it's John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth. I mean, all the guys have been ranked 11th or better. It is incredible. I think that's a testament it, it is to incredible. The, guys, the guys like him. He's a Texas dude. He's easygoing, and he's a good ball striker. What I mean, he's good, he's good company, clearly, as you know. And, and my point to him last night is he was talking about how he wanted to go back at, at JT. And I said, well, you, the idea was you can go back at it because I think JT had his math wrong. And maybe that's a University of Alabama thing that you can fire back on. He, guessed. Know, or no, the, he said he guessed. He said he guessed it was 1.3. He didn't say yeah. I think it. He said it isn't. Yeah. It's not. Well, again, bad math. College dropout. College right. dropout. But the other thing was, and I go, just go back at him about Nick Saban. Does Nick Saban recruit a lot of bad recruits? No. Nick Saban wants the best recruits in the absolute country. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to play with the best players when it comes to this particular. Are they, event. are they recruiting him or is he recruiting them? Uh, this one came about between Scotty and Ryan because uh, John Rom decided he wasn't going to play this year. It didn't fit into his schedule. So Ryan was in the market and they started talking in Los Angeles at the Genesis Invitational. And they have the same swing coach, Randy Smith, as we all know and love. And they, you know, they run in the same circles in the Dallas area. So I think it was, it was an easy choice. And Spieth, obviously, those those guys have been buddies for the past decade. What was, how did the Rom Ryan Palmer partnership originate? I think that one caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, you should know this. I'm surprised you don't. So Ryan Palmer's caddy, I James definitely forgot it. Is uh, is very good friends of John Rom's caddy, Adam Hayes. Ah, Adam and Hayes, so they talked caddy. Him into, That's right. Yeah, keep yeah keep your name keep his name out of your mouth, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's a terrific caddy so is so is james uh that definitely he's a terrific caddy who caddied this guy to world number one in the major yeah. but we, we US, stop us yeah. open victory love the huh. guy uh uh some somebody that you did uh run into yesterday i'm not and this was probably the first time that you've seen robert garrigus and i don't know 10 to 15 years since he has not been relevant that's not true that's uh not- he is now world number 1043 and yet he is the first player to request a conflicting event release from the PJ Tour so that he can play uh, the Live Golf Series event outside London. You're shaking your head in disgust. Please correct me. Uh, well, we need to slip the journalism hat on. I'm not quite sure if it's, if it's the Masters or the Golf Channel hat or the Georgia hat, which I'm sure is back there behind you somewhere as well. Uh, he is the first player publicly 
that we know has requested, there you go, who has requested a conflicting event release to play in the Live Golf event in London, which is going to kick off their Invitational Series. I don't believe, I, I don't know that he was the first one, and I don't believe he's the only one. Um, Robert did not want to go on air and comment. He's playing this week on a sponsor exemption. He said he wanted to focus on the tournament, which I thought was fair. He did talk to me off camera, and he confirmed that he has requested a conflicting event release. Uh, but didn't want to go any further than that. I, I think what we're going to see in the deadline to make these requests is Monday. You have to do that 45 days before the first round of the event you want to play in. And by all accounts, most players I talked to yesterday about this is those the releases for this first event, which I heard up to at least a half a dozen players have asked for conflicting event releases. That's it? Those, uh, that's what I've heard. Actually, I heard as many as 20, and that seems high. And then I think the number that I trust the most. You, you hear a lot of things. Uh, the one I trusted was the, the number I trusted was a half a dozen. I'm going to go with that. So those the conflicting event releases for the first event in London for this Invitational Series, which is going to be eight events, and is much different than what Livkoff had proposed before. That these are more just kind of one-off events. I don't see how the tour can say no to this because the precedent has been set for players going overseas and collecting free money. They've yeah, allowed it. They allowed Sing- Singapore Open, Saudi International, Absolutely. something in South Africa. I mean, this is nothing. This is nothing new where it gets interesting. And so I'm not, I'm not even really that concerned with the London event. It's the week before the U S open. If you want to go play there and it's then the fly next across four. the pond, it's the next, it's the four. next four. Yeah. PJ tour regulations stipulate that you cannot receive and they will not grant a conflicting event release for a tournament in North America. Now, if live golf was thinking ahead, they could have potentially done a Monday through Wednesday uh, tournament schedule. They have not. All of their events in North America and the United States will be Friday through Sunday. That directly conflicts with a PGA Tour event. How are they going to get around that? I don't think they can. As you pointed out, the regulation is really clear on this one in the PGA Tour. I mean, if if Jay Monaghan is going to keep with the line that he drew as far as players participating in these events, this is where you do it, where – Okay, you're going to let them go play in London and get the free money. There's not a lot he can do about it. He does. That's probably a battle he doesn't feel like fighting at the moment. You brought up the good point because even though that stipulation is in the regulations, they do grant players releases to play in conflicting event releases in North America. The best example of this being the match just a few years ago, which was played on Tuesday and included Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And the way they did that is they played it on Tuesday, so it was not a head-to-head match. So the tour did grant that. Uh, you were right that these events, right, the four events right now in the United States are scheduled for Friday through Sunday because they're three-round events. That doesn't mean they can't change them, and that would create a problem. And my guess is there's a bunch of smart people or lawyers at Live Golf trying to figure out exactly how can we change this around to make it a little bit more appealing and to give their case a little bit more ground. But every, everyone knows that the PGA Tour does not grant those conflicting event releases when it's going to the tournament. Uh, no, but like yeah. every, everyone, everyone knows that. How did the live golf not kind of anticipate that? How did they not anticipate that problem and work around it? Good question. I mean, it seems to me recently, I feel like they've made some moves that impress me. I guess the, the biggest one is this series, this invitational series where instead of this is much different from the 18 event schedule that they originally locked out at people and we're going to assure they if you were going to join you had to play all 18 you had to be a member of this new super league that was going to be something different that the tour was going to dig in on what they've created now with this invitational series is come come play as many or as few as you like 
And if you don't want to be as part of the team concept, don't be a part of the team concept. And so now they put the tour up against the wall because again, the precedent has been set. That part I was kind of impressed with. The fact that they did their schedule, there are three, three events before the tour championship this year and four events after the tour championship. Players are allowed three conflicting event releases per season. The season ends at the tour championship. So in theory, a player could use all three before the tour championship and three more afterwards and play in at least six based on how many events they'd played on the PGA Tour. So I think all of those things are going to factor into they do know how to make good decisions. They do think ahead on some things. On this one, they clearly have not. I just can't wait to see. So I believe the first event uh, in the United States is July 4th weekend, uh, that Friday through Sunday, July 1st uh, through 3rd. You potentially could see some DP world tour players. You could see some corn fairy tour players who want to get rich. Uh, I spent some time thumbing through the corn fairy tour player handbook yesterday. I saw nothing uh, about conflicting event releases in there. So you would think that uh, a lot of corn fairy tour players uh, are about to get rich. Is there anything you'd like to add on that point? Since I see now, not your sausage finger, but your Sharpie. Yes. You're going to, you're going to make fun of me on this one. No. And this was a conversation you and I had. They, Greg Norman, the CEO of Live Golf, did an interview last week with Bob Herrick of SI.com, and he talked about inviting amateurs to play in these invitational events. And I think there was a lot of eye-rolling, especially internally in our shop, as far as, oh, now he's going to amateurs if he can't field the field. I disagree. I think it's actually a, a very shrewd move. Because what they're going to I do agree. now. I agree. They're going that's, to go after the That's the way PGA you got to go. Yes. They're going to go after the PGA Tours Young. And I had this conversation last night at dinner that, okay, we can't get the stars. We're going to get next year's stars or we're going to get the stars in 10 years and they're going to come. And you're going to tell me that a senior in college right now at Clemson, he's facing either paying $5,000 to go to Q school and a year or two on the corn Ferry tour just to get to the PGA tour, or they're going to offer him free money to go play in these live golf events with the idea that two years, we're going to start a super league and you can make vast amounts of money. And they're also going to be paying for $25 million purses and these live golf invitational events. That's no small amount of money. So what you're going to end up with is an amateur who most of the players on the range right now here in New Orleans have never heard of is going to walk away from this invitational series with six, seven, eight million dollars in the bank. And there's going to be some players well, on that no. range that look well that that player would forfeit their amateur status if they collected that. Sure, sure. And I think at some point what they're just trying to do is, is cultivate this relationship by inviting the amateurs now and giving them a taste of, okay, this is what you can get. And you're going to end up with someone that these guys have never heard of that's going to be a millionaire at the end of this season, and that's going to turn heads. I guarantee it. And I would think that the other PJ or the other pros in the 48-player field would want as many amateurs as possible. They can't collect the money. Okay, we're going to divvy up this $25 million purse between 42 guys uh, as opposed to 48. I'm with you. You have to mix the has-beens with the next-gen guys. If I'm, if I'm operating Live Golf right now, I look at the golf stat rankings, which are the college golf rankings. I go to the PJ Tour University rankings, which right now the top 15 guys, they, the top five get Corn Ferry Tour status. Six through 15 go to Canada, China. Wherever. Corn Ferry Tour status. Latino. Corn yeah. Ferry Tour status. They get Corn Ferry Tour status automatically. And so yeah. if, if I'm a live golf guys, I go down to that list and I say, we're going we're gonna to ask all these guys. I say, well, as soon as you graduate, as soon as you turn pro, whatever the case may be, We'll give you X million dollars uh, to come join our league. You're probably not going to get all 15. You're probably not going to get the top 25 players in college, but you could get a handful of them because a lot of those guys, either they don't come from money, they've never seen money, uh, they, they're in it for the money, 
whatever the case may be, you can get a handful of those guys and then you can mix and match them with the Westwoods and Adam Scott's the world. Uh, I think that would actually be uh, a pretty good mix. We've gone long enough, Rex. It's time to talk food in New Orleans. I know the media center. I can't see what your notebook says. I hope that's a top five list. I hope it is a top five five list. list. I actually spent more time thinking about that than anything else we've talked to on this podcast because this is important to me. This really is important. I spent way too much time uh, thinking about this. Uh, I've covered this tournament a number of times. I've gone for recreation a number of times. I believe your wife is from New Orleans originally, which uh, certainly is is one of the reasons why uh, her her personality uh, is so outstanding and so much fun to be around. You arrived on Monday, coming in late, and you told me, disappointingly, who is that? I can't see. It's uh, John Faco, the all-world cameraman. He wanted to get an eye in oh. here and just, just say hello. Perfect. Hello, Faco. Uh, you, can, you can ask him where he likes to eat as well. You flew in late on Monday. Disappointingly, you said you were going to get something quick at the hotel. I'm not going to lie. That was a dagger. That was a dagger to my heart. I held you in I such high esteem. I didn't get to the hotel steam. until 9 o'clock. What do you want me to do? I don't, I'm not perfect. eating dinner at midnight. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. It's a, it's you know a Monday night. You know what? That, that actually reminds me of Sean Martin, PJTour.com, longtime friend uh, of, of, of both you and I. Uh, one year we were covering this. He went and got Subway. Uh, no, our that's former terrible. boss at Golf Channel, I just didn't eat Jay dinner. Coffin, went to Domino's no. in New Orleans. No. Are you kidding me? No. Do that in so, Silva, Illinois. Don't do but, that in New Orleans. It's, it's insulting. And I, I kind of have a rule. I don't like to eat after 9 o'clock when I'm on the road. It's just my own personal thing. Simply, just I just don't think it's healthy. Yes, it just hips. goes to my hips. And it, look, I can't. I just, you know, a minute on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. I just don't want to deal with it that way. <laughs> I'm going to say this, though. Even if I did was motivated, I am still amazed, and I think this is pandemic-related, how many restaurants, good restaurants, in the French Quarter are closed on Monday and Tuesday nights. Like, I can attest to this, because after walking around just the French Quarter a little bit last night, and I think it has a lot to do with the pandemic and there's a labor shortage. And so even if I was motivated to go out at 9 o'clock or 9.30, on Monday night, it, it I would think not. You could have, I think you could have. I, I think I made up. I think, Ac- I think Acme's open. I think, I think it was Drago's not. is open. No, no, no. Acme was not open because my hotel's right on Iberville, right around the corner, like literally a two-minute walk, and it was clo- It was closed last night. I can guarantee it was closed Monday night. Was Drago's? Drago's open? Uh, it's not. Didn't even it's, not ch- it's not my favorite, but if I'm if I'm in a pinch, I'll always go to Drago's. Uh, Drago's is in my top five. I don't want to give too much away. Ooh, uh, Gal- really? Okay, we're gonna have to. All right, let's Galatoire's let's get into this. Not right, so. Oh my goodness. All right. So, so last night you were supposed to go to Commander's Palace, which I was incredibly impressed. I'm going uh, to New Orleans in late June. They have not yet opened the reservations. I've been panicking. I've been refreshing the page. Uh, I'm desperate to get in there uh, for their lunch. If you have not gone to the lunch at Commander's Palace, uh, it is to die for the turtle soup, uh, the quarter martinis, uh, absolutely outstanding vibe. You would have to wear a suit jacket, which could get quite hot in the summertime. Uh, however, you did not go to Commander's Palace. Where did you go? Uh, Desi Vegas Steakhouse. Never heard. And I was of having it. lunch. I was Never having dinner with some friends. So I guess Desi Vega. I don't know the complete story here. I guess he was involved with the folks at Roots Chris. And he opened his own steakhouse, and it was very, very popular. So now he's opened up a second one, which is you kind went of to a right steakhouse in, in New Orleans. That feels. That I went feels to a steakhouse. And, well, I went to a steakhouse and did not have steak. So this is where, oh. and I had to pull up. I had to pull up the menu to make sure. So shrimp ramalad, which is obvious, right? Ooh, I mean, yes. Yes. So I had nothing but four appetizers. So shrimp ramalad. Four appetizers. I'd be, worried, I'd be worried more about that than, than your after 9 o'clock uh, mandate. Who'd shrimp, 
fried green tomatoes and uh, oysters bien bill, which is ugh, to die for. Oh, my Unbelievably gosh. good. Highly recommend. What choices? Yes. What choices? Uh, what did your uh, cohorts? What did your cohorts eat? I hope, hopefully, not uh, like a, a, a super fat ribeye. Uh, no, 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 no. They, although they're from Texas, so there was plenty of red meat at the table. Uh, but I, I decided that uh, I was just going to stick with it because I, I didn't want steak. I just wanted to go with it. That, I know I that's go with just the, wrong. You could do that anywhere. Fair. That's wrong. Yeah. Um, all right, what are place? All right, all right. Top five. Why don't you start? I did my list. I'm not quite sure if it's in the correct order or not. So. I'm, I'm going to dance around here since you did not like it. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to start with two jacks, which is in the French quarter. It's, it's a famous place. It's, it's been there for absolute ever. The menu changes from day to day. It's all, it's all the, you know, New Orleans fair, Cajun fair that you, you would expect. Uh, the trout ponce train is probably the best uh, for number two. I went to Pascal Manales. Oh, oh, we're not, we're not. So that was oh, your number sorry. one or is, that, is this no, not in order? Uh, no, that was my number one. I'm going one to five. So you do your number one. Sorry. Uh, my, my number one is Pascal Manales. Uh, uh, that is you, it's, it's, a, it's a no brainer for me. You get an Abita, you get two Abitas and then you get a dozen raw oysters and you get the barbecue shrimp. That is the ultimate meal to me. If you're going to go to new Orleans, go to Pascal Manales, shrimp, get, yes. get two Abitas, dozen raw oysters, and then the barbecue shrimp. It is the most fun you can have with your pants on. Uh, I don't know about that, but it's certainly, I mean, it was an unbelievable meal. I go for just only for the barbecue shrimp, I guess, and the abita, but it's, I, I have tried to make the barbecue shrimp and it is, you can't replicate you it. You can't, so no. I, like I tried, I, I've had crawfish at home. I've had oysters at home. I've had barbecue shrimp at home. It is just not worth it. I'd rather go to New Orleans and experience it firsthand, even though it might be more expensive. Uh, my, num- my number three, since we've already touched on Pascal Manelli's, which is number two for me, is Galatoire's, which is uh, it's a French Quarter staple. It's one of those places you kind of have to sit out front and wait just to get inside. It, it's, it's funny. It's actually kind of like Commander's. It's more of a lunch place. Like it, they have a famous lunch. Friday, on Friday. A famous yes, Friday, Friday lunch. I've already made my reservation. Even yes. though it's going to be 95 degrees, you have to wear pants and a suit jacket. Uh, my father and I uh, will be a, a sweaty mess, but it will certainly be worth it. We're looking forward to that Friday lunch at, uh, and, at Galatoire's. And everything about it is magical. And they, these Friday lunches go on for hours. I mean, just hours. And uh, of all the things that you can like there, and again, it, it's all the, the fare that you would expect from a place in New Orleans, in the French Quarter that's been around for, I'm going to go with 100 years. I might be off by a couple, 10 oh, years probably, or so. Oh, you're probably right. Seafood okra gumbo. That's what huh? you would get there? Uh, well, that's what I'm starting with. I'm not going to take <laughs> you through the whole menu because that's not the kind of person I am. But I'm just I'm, I'm throwing it out there. Just for, just listen to that and let it sink in, right? Mm, delicious. Crab I can't wait to see O'Brien. what they have for the Friday lunch. Oh, the Friday lunch is just going to be uh, outstanding despite how sweaty. Uh, I may be my number two. You probably haven't Three. even gone there because you're not uh, hoity-toity. Uh, is Le Petit Grocerie. The blue crab beignets followed by the turtle bolognese. A little bit spicy. Probably going to rip up your intestines. I certainly wouldn't have it after 9 o'clock, uh, as, as your mandate states. It was absolutely delicious. That is my number two on the list. I mixed it up, Rex, with number three. I chose a breakfast spot. Not Cafe oh. du Monde. That is too touristy. Uh, I went with Surrey's. Oh. I went with Surrey's. Uh, for my number three, bagel and locks. You can get the uh, banana foster uh, French toast, which is also to die for. That is my number three 
favorite restaurant in New Orleans. Bit of a wild card, uh, I know, but delicious nonetheless. I think I did mine. Uh, did I do my number three? Yeah, I did. I did Galatoire. So I'm on number four, which, by the way, I breakfast at Brennan's. I had bre- mm. uh, breakfast with my wife at Brennan's the day after we got married in the French Quarter. Classic. Yeah, classic. it's very, very classic. We, we enjoyed that. Uh, and I'm going to go with, uh, and you're not going to like this even a little bit, for my number four, only because, and it, this is all about roast beef po' boys. So now I'm going Subway? to the place. Uh, no, Johnny's Po' Boys. It's right in the French Quarter. It's so good. It's like, a, again, another institution. And you stand in line, and it's kind of like, this is a dated reference, but Seinfeld and the soup kitchen. And you don't say anything. You, you make your order. You're quiet. You pay in cash. There are no credit cards. You don't ask for extras. You don't ask for less. You just take you get what you get. And you, you go get, and you, you get what it. you get. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. That's right. That's what you tell your kids. Uh, Johnny's Po' Boys. That is my number four. <laughs> My number four is also a po' boy's place. It is not Johnny's. Uh, it is Domelis's. Uh It's a little bit of a hike. It's about 15, 20 minutes uh, from the French Quarter. I usually get it on the way out uh, and heading to the airport, uh, but I get the fried oyster po' boy, uh, and it is absolutely delicious. I think you can also, uh, even though you can't do it at Johnny's, you can request a couple of shrimp in there if you're willing to pay extra, which since we're on an expense account, uh, we most certainly do. Uh, I have a T5 here. Because I was like, man, I can't fit them all, so I'm going to do T5. Uh, I threw Pesh in there. I threw Mr. B's, which is where uh, – so Pesh is Mr. a seafood B's restaurant. Is very good, yeah. Mr. B's for the barbecue shrimp, if you haven't had enough with Pascal Manal's. Uh, Jaeger's. It is a little bit – I would call it grimier. It is technically, I believe, in Metairie. Uh, but that is where I go for my crawfish. You can pound pitchers of beer, and you can get crawfish by the pound – for very cheap, like two ninety nine or three ninety nine a pound. That's why you go to get my eight pounds of crawfish. Oh, and also, also T five is Casamentos, which is a classic oyster bar. So you you essentially just named ten restaurants, is what you did. The way yes, you worked, I, in, you just yeah, named, I did, but I did T five. You did five T fives. All right, I yes. see what you did there. Uh, crawfish on the range yesterday by Acme, unbelievably good. They also had Acme. Shrimp. I also like. I would put that like ninth. I put that ninth. Uh, kind there of are other, there are, there are better yeah. there are better oyster places than Acme. Don't settle. Don't settle. Yes, do not, do not settle. And my number five, and I don't have a, I don't have a T five. I have a five, and then I have an honorable mention. Is my new Stragos. <laughs> the Charboiled oysters are unbelievably good. Uh, I went there a couple years ago after taking a hiatus after getting a bad oyster. Not gonna lie, uh, got a bad one. That's that's why I, did, I I don't have it in my top yeah. ten. I had a bad experience. Yeah. I thought the oysters were really, uh, really small, uh, and I had to. I got I got two dozen as I typically do. Uh, at an oyster joint, and I was very disappointed. I said, "No, Dragos, you're, I'm putting you. I'm putting you in timeout. We're not. We're not uh, doing this." Dragos is uh, on the tenth tee today, so I will. Whenever we do writer's block, I'm going to bring some Dragos in, and I'll enjoy them while you watch. Oh, that's fantastic! As, as yes. every, I think, uh, as everyone knows, the Zurich Pro Am every every like two or three holes, local establishments come out and yeah. and uh, have little stops. I'll be making the great. rounds. And then my honorable mention is a restaurant named Born. It's in the uh, warehouse district, and I picked that. And it's more of a southern kind of classic food with a bit of a Cajun twist to it. My wife's cousin is a chef here in town. His name is Brad Landry, and the dude is an absolute genius. That's one of his two restaurants, I believe, here in New Orleans. But Born is fantastic. Fantastic. Dini's, I put it on there as well. How about bars? I saw you last night. You're at the Carousel Bar at the Hotel Monteleon. Uh, a terrific stop. I always recommend to people. You want to try Monteleon again? Monteleon. Monteleon. Is there an extra E? 
Montleon? Yeah. Huh. The more you know. Uh, Carousel Bar there, uh, you have to go. Uh, the French 75 Bar, if you're feeling fancy. Napoleon House, Hot Tin, Barrel Proof, Cure. I mean, there are so many good options. What's your favorite haunt? Oh, the Sazerac Bar. I didn't even mention the Sazerac Bar. Well, I go to, and the reason I go to Montleon is because that's where we were, we had a reception. That's where we stayed when we got married. And it's, it's the Carousel Bar. And I have to do it every, so every, my first night here, I didn't do it Monday night. I did, I did it last night. And I got a Sazerac. And I felt like after I I had drank that, I needed to stay away from an open flame. I was afraid I was going to You're basically drinking, like, it tastes like cinnamon gasoline. Uh, It's delicious. It's it's delightful, but yes. It is, it is absolutely delicious. I forgot a T5 Rex. Uh, so I think I've actually gotten up oh, to like God. 12. Uh, that is Dominica. It is an Italian restaurant in New Orleans. Their lasagna is out of this world. Highly recommend it. If you guys, if you guys paid attention at all to this podcast, you are set for your trip to New Orleans. I gave you every restaurant. We gave you breakfast places. We gave you lunch places. We gave you dinner places. I've been planning this trip uh, with my dad. It was uh, his 65th birthday. Last year, got delayed. Uh, because of COVID, we we're doing it this summer. We've been working on this menu and this itinerary for months. Looking forward to it. Do not settle if you go to New Orleans. It is worth the planning. It is worth the wait. It is worth some of the hassle to get into these places. What's on the docket for tonight, Rex? Uh, not sure. I think we have a we have a member of our crew that uh, and Jared, who you know, Baco? Jared lives. Uh, no, Faco's name is not Jared. You know Faco's first name is Johnny, right? Yeah. You said okay, you said a member Jared. of our crew, so I so I jumped in and said Faco. No, but I said Jared, a member of our crew, Jared. He, he's a sound guy. We worked with him just a few weeks ago at Augusta. He lives oh, in the Jared. Ninth Ward, and he has asked us a couple years to come uh, to the Ninth Ward and have dinner with him. And there was a reluctance. I'm not going to lie. That I mean, the, the, the Ninth Ward is a very very old neighborhood. It's a huge part of New Orleans, and he told us that the restaurants are. Absolutely unbelievable. So we're joining Jared tonight in the ninth ward. What are you gonna have? Don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. You know, something Cajuny, something red beans and rice, something. Give me some etouffee. Give me some fried shrimp. I don't uh, know. There's a famous open fried chicken. There's a famous fried chicken uh, restaurant in the ninth ward. I think it's called like Eddie Mays, maybe or something like that. Mama, someone, someone will correct me. Uh, I'm sure in my mentions. There's, a, there's an is, old burger place delicious. here in town called Bud's Boiler. I nope. don't know if you've ever eaten. Nope. So, We're not doing burgers. We're not doing burgers. Well, and here's the deal. So, and I wouldn't do burgers this trip. I might do burgers if I was just driving home and I needed something quick. It, it, oh, it's please. very good. It's very dirty. It's exactly what you expect out of New Orleans. But for Christmas this year, my mother-in-law got me a, a, a bottle of the Bud's Boiler sauce. Hmm. And so I do it at home on, on, on the grill. Unbelievably good. It, it just goes on burgers? Uh, I guess you could put it on anything, but I mean, I kind of just made the buds boil it the way they do it. They kind of do it with chopped up onions and yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, there's a very specific way they do it. It's delightful. Did you convince your wife to get that, uh, 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 fryer yet? Uh, no, I think you and I both know, I don't convince my wife of anything. So we'll be holding off on the fryer. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping for a big bonus at the end of the year. Some thank you points coming my way. Merce, if you're listening, Rex should use a $500 Amazon card uh, pronto. The summer, the summer frying and grilling season is, is coming around. $300 would be fine. Yeah, $300 even, gift card would be even, fine. Even, you know, if you wanted just uh, three, $329, uh, I think if you wanted to uh, include all the tax. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll do something worthy uh, of that Amazon gift card. We can only hope. Maybe, maybe you'll score a big exclusive this week uh, as a Golf Central reporter. Make sure you check out Rex. 
uh, Golf Channel all week long. I think there's a big interview with Scotty Scheffler and Jordan Spieth that'll be airing today on Golf Today. You probably aren't uh, allowed to interview for that one, uh, sad to say. You can also read Rex's stuff on GolfChannel.com. You go enjoy your beignets. You go enjoy your shrimp etouffee. You go enjoy your your uh, jambalaya. You go enjoy Hard your gumbo. Royal oysters coming Our your way. Oysters. We all know you're not going to be right. uh, dining in the media center at the Zurich Classic, but you can hop around, uh, especially with your fancy golf cart, uh, to hit everything that TPC Louisiana has to offer. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Make sure to check us out on Writer's Block. We'll be doing it on Wednesday. We'll be doing it on Sunday, assuming Rex uh, is not lost in a gutter somewhere uh, in the French Quarter. We'll talk to you guys next week.